Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Courtside Conversation. I'm your girl, Allie Love. After years on the hardwood as the in-arena host for the Brooklyn Nets, it's time for me to take it courtside. We're here with artists, athletes, and all of our favorite people to break down the game called life. We're getting real about the grow up and the glow up. So let's take a seat. What's up, everyone? It's your girl, Ali Love. Welcome to Courtside Conversation as we take a courtside seat with the one and only. I mean, she is one of the funniest people that I know, Ego Woden. Now, Ego is a comedian, an actress, a writer, and is best known for her work as a cast member of Saturday Night Live. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Welcome. How you doing? I, you know, I am getting by. <laughs> I, I, things have been very busy, um, but I'm good. You know, I'm good. I'm good. I just left a workout. I feel energized Ooh. for the first time ever after a workout. <laughs> for the first time ever. Why normally are you just tired? Normally I'm tired after workout. I don't know. Everybody's like, I feel it's like I have so much energy after I work out. I'm like, I... We'll need a, I generally need a nap after I work out. Um, so I feel good. It's the weather's good here in New York. It's been a longish winter. And so, yeah, good. I'm all good. Okay, good. Um, I have to tell you, I just saw you. You didn't see me, but I just saw you when you hosted uh, Variety's Power, Power of Women. And you were exceptional. Now, we oh, share the same you. agency team. And so Jordan on our team, I like... He's like, how is Ego doing? And I'm like, she's exceptional. And then I was like, oh, I need you. to know this. One, I assume you've you wrote the speech yourself, but did you have any support? And that, that speech was perfect. I don't think I've oh ever heard God. a more perfect <laughs> and entertaining and informative and inspiring, like welcoming speech as a host in, in all you. my life. Sincerely. Oh my goodness. Okay. Th that's really, really kind of you, Allie. I did not get, um, they gave me a template. Okay. Okay. And so the template was like, we want you to touch on this. We want you to introduce this honoree um, or ex at least like uh, introduce the fact that this person is being honored. And so I I was so stressed about it because I was also in the middle of like a show run at SNL. So mm -hmm. I, and, and I shot some like a movie, a cameo in a movie the day before. And so I was like, I don't know when I'm going to do this speech. So all day on set the day before I was like, OK, I'm going to throw this in. And I was like make, putting little notes in my um, phone notes app. And I, I was like, I don't know if I have a hit on my hands or not, but this is what I'm going to have to say because this speech was due to them this morning and it is currently 8 p.m. Um, so, so I, I, I did not, I read it for one of my friends who doesn't do comedy is not an entertainment at all. And he was like, sounds good to me. That was all the feedback I got. So I was so worried. So this is really, really nice to hear that someone enjoyed it. Thank you. I, I think the entire room, I can tell you by obviously the response, everyone did enjoy it. But the fact that you did that last minute says one or two things about you. One, you work really well under pressure and that is like your prime moment. Or two, there's way more in you and you're only giving us half of it right now in you life know because what? you're waiting to the last minute. <laughs> Great thing. What what if it's what if it's both? So it says both of those things about me. I I like well, I was I asked for the template early to be like, let me just get a sense of this early and so I can get ahead of it. Um, I don't want to be doing this last minute, but I was by the time they, you know, by the time we were having the conversation, 
not about doing it, but like, okay, there's this template and things we want you to cover. I was already going back to work at SNL to do a show run. So it was like, mm. I'm asking for it early, but like getting it early right at this point isn't really going to do anything for me. But I mm. thought, okay, well, Ego, what if you like write a sentence of it a day and I'm just not that person. <laughs> so I, it was, it was very, very last minute. I do work well under pressure, but I keep being like, okay, I keep telling myself, like, if you work this well under pressure, imagine what would happen if you got a head start and your girl just n- no. n- almost never gets the head start. Like, I don't do that. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I say working where you're thriving and sis, you're thriving. So that, we're you. not even into the courtside conversation. Let's go ahead and <laughs> jump into okay, it's four quarters you. game called life and have time where there's a little bit of fun. So let, let's go ahead and tip off. Um, take me back growing up, obviously from Baltimore, you study ballet, you come, yeah. your family is Nigerian. You kind of get those roots of, and you've said this before as a Nigerian family of wanting you to be a doctor. So you would have, would have be, been pre-med if you didn't go into comedy and entertainment. But yeah. growing up in your household, what are some of those memories um, of you being just tapping into that, your, your comedy or tapping into that humor? When did it start to show in your household? Well, you know, I, the thing is, I was pre-med in college. I studied biology, which is truly... Uh, why did I? I mean, I know why. I, it was the pressure, of, the pressure of family. But even as I tell that story, I, I'm like, you know, I. It, it's just like most first generation kids' story, where your family comes to this country and comes for better opportunity and for a better life for you, and they have these dreams for you. And it all comes from a good place, in my opinion, and or at least in my experience, it was from a good place. My mother wanted me to have stability and to not have to. Um, be struggling in the same way she did to get to where she is. And so, you know, as far as the comedy goes, I didn't even understand it as like a career option well into like pursuing acting, honestly. Like Mm. I've always been a fan of comedy. I've always been very silly. I have not that silly equals comedy, but I feel like they are cousins of one another. And so like, I've always been wanting to entertain my family, mimicking my family members, making them laugh at holidays. I loved Martin growing up. Yeah. Um, My older brother put me onto Seinfeld. He was such a big Seinfeld fan. And so like, I, it's always been a part of my life, but it's, it's funny because sometimes when you're just living, you're not naming things. And especially at that age, when I was so much younger, I wasn't like, and this is comedy. And, uh, this is the intellectual stuff that stimulates me. It's just like, this is my life. And I'm gear, I'm, I'm gravitating towards the things I enjoy. So I didn't even know or conceptualize it as a career option for myself. So I actually, you know, I studied biology in college, like I said, and I thought I was going to take, be a theater um, double major. I was mm. like, that'll be the sneaky thing I do. Like I made this deal with my family that if I, if they let me go to college in Los Angeles, um, because I knew I wanted to act. And I was like, that's where the acting happens. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get into it, but I know I should be where it happens. And then, you know, I'll go to college there. I'll study the thing that's going to make you feel like I'm not throwing my life away and f- falling off the deep end here. I'll do that. Um, and then when I get to LA, if I can just get closer to where this thing happens, I can figure it out, but I just need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I thought I was going to be a theater double major. I took a theater class at USC where I went to undergrad. I really did not enjoy it, the class, oh. but I still knew I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> and I was like, I just know I want to be an actor. I know I have this in me, this desire. And I, you know, in my mind, everyone at that time, I was like, yeah, everyone, if they could be an actor, they would be. And the older I got, I was like, oh no, not everyone feels this way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not everybody wants to do this. And so let me know that this passion I had inside of me was um, for me, unique to me and was special and meaningful and something I should pursue and listen to. So I started taking acting classes outside of USC. Like just, I was like, we're in LA, there's an abundance of acting classes. I don't have to be a theater double, double major, even though that would have allowed me to get a scholarship. <laughs> if but I why was a didn't double you ma- like the class? Like, what was it about the class? Like, that's important. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you went in, you didn't have a great experience. And sometimes that can be someone's quote unquote sign. Like we're always looking for a sign. Like, okay, I know yeah. I want to do this. I'm in the right place. So if this works out, this is a sign that I'm, I'm destined to do it for you. You're like, I didn't love it. 
Well, here's the thing is like, it was like dating. So I'm like, I, I like men and I've dated men that like weren't for me. And then I'm like, it's not, the answer is not like, I don't like men. It's like, I don't like you. And so yeah. it was sort of like that where I took the class and I was like, I don't like this class. I don't care for this professor. She don't seem to care for me. And that's all good. <laughs> and, but I know that, uh, yeah, I, I know that I have this burning desire inside of me. And I know, you know, I had friends in college who didn't know that I wanted to be an actor and they would be like, you know, I had one of my friends, um, he, the one, actually the, the friend I read the speech to, he very early on, he didn't go to school with me. Um, he went to Brown, but we were talking and he's like, you should be like an entertainer of some sort. And I was like, here's the secret. I want to do that. Um, and every once in a while, I'd, my signs were like people I'd meet in college being like, you should do entertainment. Like, and and I mean, I knew that already, but I was like, okay, it's in me and other people see it in me, even though they don't know that that's what I came out here to do or pursue. And that was what my heart's desire actually was. And so when I took the class and I didn't like it, you know, I'd done a play as a, as a, as a youth, I was going to say a young person, which made me sound old. <laughs> I've done, I did a play like when I was younger and I really enjoyed that. And even as a ballerina, like I loved performing. I really, really loved doing our performance that would happen. Um, at the end of our dance season. And so it was a lot of rehearsing for this one performance. And that was my favorite part. I'd be like, all right, let's, how many rehearsals do we have to have? Let's just, let's do the performance. And so like, I, I knew that I enjoyed performing. And so when I was in this class, I, I was like, I can, I was like, this person doesn't care for me. I don't really know that I'm getting this much out of this class. And I don't, and I knew I wanted to do TV and film largely. Like I do, I did a play. I like theater but I wanted to do TV and film. Um, and even now I love being on TV. I love doing TV. Um, it's such a passion of mine. And so I was like, I'd rather go be in an acting class where I'm learning the skills to do TV and film where there, there's certainly overlap. And I absolutely think the skills you gain from working in theater a million times over, um, prepare Mm -hmm. you to do TV and film. Um, but I just, I wanted to, I was like, I, this class is not for me. So for me, I was like, okay, it's like dating. I took this class. It wasn't for me. I'm going to go date somebody else. And so I found, and I was like, it's LA. There's a, a billion acting classes in this town. It doesn't have to be the one at my school. And so I went and found an acting class outside of campus and I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And um, it was a television acting class and it was mainly an audition class. But still, mm-hmm. I feel like if you're, I had such great teachers coming up that it was like, yes, you're teaching me how to audition, but you are certainly teaching me how to act. And then I took other sorts of acting classes outside in the world in LA, like Alexander Technique and such. So mm-hmm. And then I started taking improv. So where I got to comedy, just to take you on that path, is I started taking oh, I improv it. begrudgingly. I was mad. I was like, I did not want to take improv. Your girl was big mad. I was like, I'm not taking this. You're giving me busy work. So it was like agents and managers, some of whom were my agents or managers, and some of them were prospective agents and managers, like you should take an improv class. But I feel like back then, I don't know, I feel a little out of touch in this regard right now, but I feel like when I was coming up, there were so many things that... Um, developmental agents and managers would tell, you know, developmental clients like myself to do that were just busy work ultimately. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to get the sense, like, I was like, I need some ROI, a term I learned in my business minor, (laughs) return Mm -hmm. on investment. I need some, I'm, I'm doing all the things I'm doing the things and it's like, do this. And it's always like one more thing I need to do. I need to go get new headshots. I just got headshots, but now I need new headshots. And I just, uh, I went and took that class you told me to, but now I need to go take this class. And so I was like, no, I'm going to need some ROI before I do anything else. And But enough people told me to take an improv class, friends and reps alike. And so I was like, fine, I'll take it. And no one, I'll take 101 and no one can talk to me about an improv class again because I will have done it. And then I did 101 and I was like, oh my God, I love this. And this is the most me thing I've ever done. <laughs> and you then it felt was like, you. I, oh, I felt I so that. me and I wanted, and I was like, okay, well now I'm I'm in, I'm in this community I'm committed to, I want to get on the main stage at this improv theater. I want to get, I want to, I want to go the distance here. And that was, it's so funny. Like I've said before that sometimes the thing that is for you on the, is on the other side of 
this thing you don't want to do. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to take an improv class. And I, and honestly, I should have like put my foot down about other things and be like, I'm not taking this or I'm not doing that. But it was like the one thing I was like, I'm not doing that. That ended up being so me and so for me and opening a million doors for me and offering me the some of the most important relationships in my life right now. So wait, take me to, you know, you're in college and you're studying and you know, you talk to your parents, right? They call and now you, you're taking these classes. Do you tell them that you're, you've already agreed, like, I'm going to do this for this, but are you telling them now you're really investing a lot more of your outside time into this exploration? Well, I mean, when I graduated college, it was this whole thing about, you know, I told my mom and it was my sister, my, God bless my older sister. Um, She's brilliant. And she is, um, she, she went to med school and she didn't want to. And when, while she was there, she got her MBA (laughs) and she just got her MFA in screenwriting. And she's just so highly accomplished and loves school, I guess. Um, but (laughs) in a way that I could not relate. Um, and so she, she having gone to med school when she didn't want to again, be having the same first gen experience I was having just older. She was like, I I was going to take the MCAT after like, my senior year of college or my junior year, I can't remember when you're supposed to. That's how much I wasn't going to do this. But I was maybe going to take it as like, I'm going to have my MCAT score. It'll be mine. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have to go to med school, but I'll take it. It's just another step in the process and I'll have this score. And my sister, because she had gone to med school and didn't want to, she was like, do not take the MCAT. And I mean, I got the books from my brother because he is a doctor and I'd gotten his books And I was like, okay, I'm going to study this summer. And she was like, do not take the MCAT because you know you don't want to be a doctor. And if you take this MCAT, you are going to find yourself in med school Mm. when you don't want to be. And I was like, I'm not just going to find myself in med school. I'm not like you. I'm not as smart as you are. (laughs) So no, it's going to take some real work on my part. Um, We can't, we're not all you, but um, she's so smart. But anyway, uh, I was like, okay, great. I'm not taking the MCAT. So that was something I told my mom, you know, once I had made that decision and missed the window so that I wasn't on the path to med school anymore, basically. The minute I didn't take the MCAT, and made that decision to not take the MCAT or study for the MCAT, it was like, thank God I didn't, by the way. But like, it was like, okay, she's really not going to med school. So then when I was, when I, once I graduated, of course, my mom wanted to know what I was up to. Like I got a job, a day job. And before um, that, what was that conversation like? Were you nervous? Cause I feel like for me, we do share similar paths in that I was pretty open that I wanted to be a dancer growing up. I was like, I'm, I want to be a dancer. I know I want to move to New York City. That's where dancers make it. I'm from Miami, born and raised, going to an arts high school, came to New York in the summertime. And I was like, I love the rhythm of the city. How can I go to, how can I live here? And I remember my parents saying, well, no, you can't just graduate high school and become a dancer. You need to go to college. You need to continue your education. And the agreement was you go to school. You get a scholarship because we can't pay for it, but you go to school, an academic scholarship, (laughs) and you can get a bachelor's in fine arts for sure, but you have to get a minor. And mine was the study of religion. I did theology. And that was like the agreement. It's like, okay, I'm going to put myself in New York because that's where dancers make it. And I'm going to be in a city that I love. And that's where people just do great things. And I will go to university to appease my parents and and, and get a degree because I get it. I'm the first of our entire family. My mom's one of 10 kids to graduate like college of all my cousins. So it was like, okay, I get what I'm doing here. I know that I want, I'm going to do this for this reason, but I'm really doing it because I want to be a dancer. Yeah, And then I kind of had to have that conversation later in college, junior, senior year, where your parents are now. One, my grandma didn't know what I was doing in general. She would come and visit and it's like, what do you do with your time? Dancing? That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Right. And I had to have that conversation, you know, with my parents of, I think I want to pursue this full time. Like, I think I want to become a professional dancer. Yeah. And maybe they had the hopes of, if you go to university, you'll find some structure in (laughs) academia and like really go on that side. So having that conversation wasn't bad. It wasn't like, it was, but it was tough. It it was one of those things where you're not, kind of convincing your parents to trust you as an adult, which isn't always easy because even to this day, my mom and my dad thinks I'm a kid. You know what I mean? Of course, they're going to think that forever. Exactly. So how was that conversation for you? Were you nervous? How did you prepare? Did you have to talk to your siblings to get a little boost of confidence? Like, what was it like? Of my siblings, my sister, I felt like had seen so much more and ventured beyond what anyone had expected of her. Um, I mean, she still went to med school and got her in bait, but like she, 
deferred her admission to med school for a while and my family was like panicking. I think my sister was like the sort of pioneer of like, mm. I'm going to do something a little unconventional. So like, I'm going to defer my admission to med school by two years. And she did get a scholarship and she's like, I'm going to go do this Disney program where they like post caught like post undergrad program they have. And my family was like, what is going on with this girl? <laughs> I mean, and also she graduated high school very early. Um, I believe at 16. And so it was like, she has the time to do that. So I feel like because of her, mm. and it's like a family thing. It wasn't just like my mom or my siblings. It was like the whole family, extended family. Like they're all so invested in what I was going to do and what each of the kids and my cousins was going to do. Um, but my mom is the oldest girl of her siblings, the second oldest of all her siblings. She's one of nine. So I feel like people were invested in our particular family familial unit because we're all older than all of our cousins. So, um, so my mom's got the oldest kids. And so I just, um, it wasn't as hard as like the sketch I did at, uh, at SNL called proud parents with Daniel Kaluuya. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as hard as that, but there were elements of that. I think my mom is far more understanding and gracious uh, and and flexible than perhaps the character I played in that. Um, and but be, thankfully, I think because of what my sister had done and had gone sort of on an unconventional path that was like blowing their minds every step of the way. What I was doing, where I was like, I know I've gotten out here. I got the degree. You guys came to the graduation. We did the thing. I mm -hmm. I, I had two minors in college. I'm like. And it was business administration and it was sociology with an emphasis in health and social welfare. So the the conversation, it was like, it Funny. wasn't, okay, listen, okay. by the way, I, I think I meant to minor in psychology, but then like midway through the sociology, I was like, oh my bad. I think I, I meant to do psychology. Wait, I did the same thing. I meant to do psychology. And then they're like, great. All your credits are adding up to theology. And I was like, yeah. but that's not what I meant to do. And they're like, too late. Yeah. And then you're just like, okay, whatever. What does this actually mean? Well, whatever, whatever. Yes. But yes, it's in retrospect. I'm like, I meant to do psychology. This is so crazy. But anyway, um, okay. Hey, twin. Um, so I was like, the conversation itself, once it was like, I'm not taking the MCAT. It was like, okay. A lot of like, okay, what are you doing? I mean, I went to a high school. They didn't under, my family didn't like understand because it had technical in the name. So they thought it was a vocational school for people who didn't plan to go to college. And I was like, it's actually a magnet school. And this is just, and it used to be vocational, like well before I was ever on this planet, but it's not anymore. And like, trust me on this one. So I feel like I had gained a little trust over the years of like, she knows what she's doing, but it is con a constant thing with like your family, your parents. I'm the youngest of four where it's like, you can trust the values and the wisdom you've instilled in me at this point, like that you didn't raise me to be wayward <laughs> and yeah. like, I'm going to make good decisions and I'm going to, as much as you want me to be successful and self-sufficient and independent, I want those things for myself tenfold. So um, more than you want them for me, truly. Like, so I just feel like the conversation, I, I was not intimidated by it because it was what it was and I'm going to, I'm going to have to tell them and they are going to ask me like, what are you doing every day? You know, there were some first gen people at UCB theater, which is where I came up in improv and sketch comedy, um, who were lying to their families about what they were doing. It was like, I'm in grad school, but it's like, you're taking improv classes and doing zip, zap, zap. And if they found out, they would be like, and there is no cap and gown and there is no prestigious, like, I'm like, the, the, you're living a lie and Godspeed because mm -hmm. that would just stress me out. So I knew I needed to have it, but I was also 3000 miles away from my family. So it was like, I'm also going to do what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, trust me on this one. So, it, you know, I think my sister having uh, created a path of like, you know, unconventional way of going about pursuing her passions and career Um helped me out a lot. And the fact that I'm the youngest, I do think by the time like parents get to the youngest, they're like, whatever. No, they're just like, yeah, hold <laughs> just, my, the, like the commercial, like just hold my kid. Like by the time you even get to the second, you're like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Germs are germs. They'll be fine. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's fine. No, yeah, it's put, put the pacifier that was just on the ground right in their yeah. mouth. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Everything's fine. fine. So yeah, basically that was also, I think, played a role in it that I was the youngest. Um, but my mother was always, you know, she was worried, but support, like the worry came from a good place, truly. But like she, my mother raised me, was also supportive. Um, so I think she was worried, but there was also this like, okay, I believe that this is going to work out for you. Um, she had once been like, I prayed 
and I saw that it was going to work out for you. And so now it just like has calmed me down a lot. Like this road is quite bumpy and you're getting a lot of no's and facing a lot of rejection and there's so much uncertainty on it. But I saw in in prayer that this is going to work out for you. And so that I was like, cool, cool, great, love it. Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Unlike any other apps, SeatGeek makes buying tickets super simple. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Let's use mama and segue into, into the second quarter. So in the second quarter, we talk about adversity and assists. And so what you did say, which um, I think comes up a lot, especially in entertainment, but just in general, no matter what your road, um, your trajectory and your career is, most of us have held space for the many no's that we've had, right? Mm-hmm. And so for you, you saying, okay, like you're at UCB, like you're doing, you're doing your thing. You're figuring out, it's unlocking that passion in you. You're like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I am. In terms of the adversity, what was that kind of, what was that road in terms of getting to Saturday Night Live? In, in terms of like knowing what was available and, avail- and, and, and op- what was the opportunity during that time for you? I mean, I felt, I felt like, you know, when I started taking Improv 101, by the time I got into 201, which is the next level, um, I, I there was a teacher that's like, listen, getting on a main stage team here as an improviser is impossible. The stats, we've done the math, and it's harder to get on the main stage here than it is to get into Harvard. And so you don't need to aim for that. You shouldn't aim for that. In fact, there are other things you could do at this theater, um, basically tempering our expectations. And I, when I hear that, I'm like, well, I've already had the mind to do that. And that's what I want to do. And when I hear that, I'm like, I'm up for the challenge. I'm like, this doesn't apply to me. <laughs> I did that. Exception I hear to the rule. I was like, exception to the rule over here. I was like, I get it. Tell everybody else that. And, and you know, for the people who hear that and go, I don't want to try now. And now that's not something I'm going to aim for. And I'm going to take that off my goals list, or I'm going to approach it in a less like hungry way. Great. Um, But if when I heard that, I was like, no, I'm gonna get on. I I don't care what the stats are. Like I'm getting on. And no, it didn't come without its hiccups. The first time I tried, I didn't get on. Thankfully, the second time I tried out, I did. I um, became eligible to try out because you don't only become eligible after you complete all the coursework in an advanced course as well. And so like, um, but then at the same time, I'm auditioning at, in L.A. for various guest co-star roles and guest star roles and series regular roles. The 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 more I um, the more along on my trajectory I get. And I had done CBS Diversity Showcase, which is something that really transformed my career and is actually mm-hmm. where SNL saw me at first. Um, but the first time I auditioned for that, I didn't get it either. And so. I kind of became accustomed to the nose. Like even now I feel not as perfectly. I feel so, I I feel like no doesn't impact me the way it might impact some people. And I feel like that's the Mm. same for a lot of actors who had come up and faced a lot of rejection. And, but you know, not to take it personally, which is something you get in the practice of, um, you re- you kind of get in the practice of if you you have healthy ways about it to like throw those rejections into the sea of forgetfulness, especially like my goal became to like my goal became to like um, just do work I was proud of. Right. So like you have yeah. an audition, you get to do it one time in an audition with the casting director, the piece you've rehearsed at best, maybe twice. 
but then, um, you know, at, at best maybe twice, but mm-hmm. like I would go, I want to do work I'm proud of. I'm not in control. Like I'm not in control of whether they pick me for this job or not, whether I'm what they're looking for or not, what can I be in control of? And so I was like, I just want to do work I'm proud of. And that would be like my prayer before I'd go into auditions. Like I want to be able to step out of this audition and be like, I'm proud of the work I did in there, regardless of what the outcome is. And so if you book a job, great, icing on the cake, but let me go put on a little show. I get five minutes to put on a show for this casting director. So I just became very like, Oh, me and no, we were such good friends for so many years. I was like, mm. and still even now, you know, like I'm not scared of a no and generally try not to take it personally. It's not easy to do. And it's like a constant practice to, um, for me to, you know, not take those no's personally or not, you know, and, and by that, I mean, you don't take a no and say, oh, what does this mean about me and my inadequacy or how I'm yes. not right? Or what does it mean about my trajectory or the heights to which I can go? It doesn't It doesn't have to mean any of that. And oftentimes it just doesn't, you know? So mm. I, I feel like those things, all those years of hearing no gave me resilience to keep going. I just knew I had this belief, this desire inside of me and thankfully kept going because of that. I was like, I'm on a mission. There's nothing else I'd rather do. In fact, when I speak about like knowing I wanted to act, there was a moment where I was like, I knew I wanted to act. I thought everyone wanted to act. Um, I met someone like in my mid twenties, my neighbor who was like going back to college to get his second bachelor's degree because he didn't know what he wanted to do. And he was like working in the mailroom at WME, which is a talent mm-hmm. uh, agency, as you know. I don't know if our listeners are our listeners now. It's our, <laughs> it's our yeah. podcast now. Um, the is. listeners Welcome. Know. Yeah, Welcome. <laughs> thank you. Um, but uh, it's an agency and he was working in the mailroom in the music department. And he absolutely freaking hated it. And he loved music a lot, but he, and he studied economics, I think, and got a, had a, a bachelor's in economics. And he was going back home to South Carolina to get wow. a second bachelor's degree in engineering. And I remember sitting at with him at, like, at a restaurant And he was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I think I'm going to like engineering because I like putting things together. I really sure to God hope I do because this will be my second time going to college. And he's like, I envy people who know what they want to do. So I, it always felt like this gift and a curse, but I I didn't know that there were people because I have such a like burning clear desire to do this acting thing. And that seemed nearly impossible. It's so not linear. There's no like, real model for how to go about it. Everyone's story is so different and that's so scary actually. Um, But to hear him say like, I envy people who know what they want to do because I don't know made me be like, oh yeah, I can really listen to this thing inside of me. And it's special that it's inside me that I have such clarity about what I want to do as opposed to feeling like, oh my God, at times it had felt like such a burden. Like, why don't I want to do anything else? Why is this the thing? I, why is this the thing I want to do? Why did do? we choose this? Exactly. Why? <laughs> oh, why did we choose this? Or why does the thing choose us? Like, I man. Know. and then like, yeah, here, I just, I will never forget that conversation. Cause in my mind, I'm like, okay. Yeah. But like, if you, if someone told you you could be an actor today, everyone would say yes, but that's not the case. So it just, and it stopped feeling like, a vain desire for me too in that moment, because I'm like, I just know that I want to do this and it's not for everybody, but it's certainly for me. So that felt special. Yeah. When you did, so you did the show, it was, it was like, what was the title? It was like called, um, great black, black women, women and then women, there's and then me. There's me. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And dot, I've dot, never, resi- yeah. yeah <laughs> so dot, dot, dot. And then there's me. <laughs> yeah. And like, what led to that? Because I feel like one, it's a bold choice as a black woman, just as a black woman to say like yeah. they're great black women. And then there's me. Mm-hmm. Um, what led to wanting to, to share this kind of part of you in terms of that also being your moment of recognition from SNL too? You know, I did that show. I had a new manager at the time who's like, oh, we need a vehicle for you. And then I was like, great, I'll, I'm going to write a stage show at UCB. I'm a senior performer here at this point and, or at least a main stage performer here at this point. And I, um, I was like, great, I'll, I'm going to do a main stage show here at UCB is my goal. And then I was like, okay, I'll put my friends in it. But sometimes when I write, I, I forget to write myself meaty parts. And so I was like, no, that's, if I, if I write an ensemble, I'm going to screw this up. And like, what's meant to be a vehicle or a showcase of any sort for me is going to be like, damn, my friends are shining. And I'm going to stand back and be like, oh, amazing. I wrote this show for my friends and I say a thing here or there. So I was like, okay, you have to try to make it a one woman show because that will kind of help. That is yeah. certainly going to help you not do that thing you 
you always do, Ego, where you're like, oh, I forgot to write myself a part um, or like a meaningful part or a showcase part. So I um, was like, it's going to be a one-woman show. And the name came to me. I, I kid you not, not in a dream, but it just came to me. And sometimes I work backwards that way where I'm mm-hmm. like, even with a sketch, I go, I want to write a sketch that's in this setting. Like it's a, and then I go from there and I'm like, I don't know. Now we got to find something weird to happen in this setting. Cause I didn't have an idea. So similarly to that, I had this title and the person directing my show was fantastic. Um, Allison Rich, she was like, great, let's figure out what you want to do with that. But honestly, you don't have to be married to this title. And I spent, I remember it was over like Thanksgiving, all of Thanksgiving, trying to think of a new title. And I was like, nope, this is the title. We're going to have to work backwards from here. And um, in that show, yeah, just exp- uh, that show explores a dichotomy between the like, the portrayal of Black women in media and how they're great or like really tragic. And so um, I felt like it was a nice way for people to get to know me too and the range uh, as my range as a performer. So I am a pretty private person and I feel like <laughs> even for people that know me in real life, not in a scary way, because it's it's also interesting because if you knew me in real life, you'd be like, she sure does share a lot about herself, but it's, I'm still really private. It's, it's mm-hmm. more, I'm, I'm, I'm very into vulnerability now in the last several years of my life, but I'm like still a very private person. Um, but I was like, it, this could be fun to explore like, and be open and transparent about my own imperfections. Cause I do feel like, especially at that time in the community I was in, I feel like everyone had kind of like thought of me as so put together and I am, I like to look nice, sue me, <laughs> but like, I'm like, I just felt like people were like, oh, she's so put together. She's got it all figured out. But I'm like, I'm very human. And as a black woman, it feels like we have to be these superheroes to people, frankly, for them to respect us. And I'm like, I'm not a superhero. I'm a person and I'm incredibly flawed and I've made a lot of mistakes um, and that's just being human and there's room for other people to make mistakes and I want that same room for us as black women and I basically yeah spent the last bit of that show make confessing all Mm -hmm. all my sins (laughs) and so I, I came you know my hope was to just show all that was inside of me and what I was capable of um it was I was asked to create this vehicle or showcase for myself and I was like okay if I'm gonna do it I want it to mean something and I want um people to walk away feeling like they got to know me a little more and that they maybe learned something not just about me but about society and how Black women are navigating the pressures put upon them in society. And so that was really, really rewarding to get to do. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but... <laughs> you did. And then, okay, no, no, okay. that was like the unlock for SNL. You said like that That was like your showcase in the sense of showing showcasing your talents, getting you to that moment of, again, one of the most sought after stages in the world when it comes to entertainment, to comedy, to TV is being yeah. on Saturday Night Live. So Yeah, absolutely. yeah. Yeah, you know, they saw me at CBS Diversity Showcase, which I did in 2016. So I tested for SNL, which is that like testing is the final audition before like you get a job. So like they will, you're a real contender here. And so they flew me out to New York. They were looking for a guy, a white guy I heard and I understood. And I I was among like 10 other dudes and it was me because I did a good job at my audition in LA. And then, so they flew me out. I did that. And I was like, oh, cool. And after this is after my CBS showcase was like April. And I was like, they don't hire people in April, do they? They have from time to time. But I was like, whatever. I was not expecting this. I was not looking for this. And like, that's so great. I'm so happy that um, they saw something in me, but I was like, this is just a cool little like post birthday gift for me, frankly. I was like, great, but they're looking for a guy and now they're flying me out. I was like, this is kind of low stakes because I'm not what they're looking for. Um, but I, I'd also gotten the practice of getting like honing my comedic voice in CBS diversity showcase. And so by the time SNL, um, came calling or vice versa, whatever it was, came calling like two years later in 2018 and I auditioned. I had done my one woman show mm-hmm. and had had that run. And then I um I I had honed my my voice even more because my one woman show, I got the chance to do anything I wanted. It was my baby. Like there were there were no guidelines. There were absolutely no rules. I got to create this thing. And so I had really done a job of honing my my comedic voice. I'd written like 20 characters for that show. It's a half an hour show. So there's only, I only got to do, I think like seven or 
maybe eight. I think I did eight. Um, but like, yeah, I, I got in the practice of like, this is this is my comedic voice. So by the time SNL came calling in 2018, I was like, oh, I'm auditioning in right now or testing for this in a way where I'm like, I know myself and I'm so self-assured and I know what I think is funny and I know what I like to do. I know what kind of characters I like to play. Um, it's it's a miracle that I, and a blessing I didn't get this job in 2016 while I was still figuring those sorts of things out and really getting my arms wrapped around that. And so by the time, you know, 2018 rolled around and I did that one woman show, because I did that one woman show, I knew what I enjoyed doing and I knew what I wanted to say with my comedy and I knew what I, what was in the tank for me in a way that I didn't two years prior. So it was this like, I went, I embarked on this journey of writing this show, but I didn't know what the show was going to afford me actually until after the fact. And that was really special. Wait, you have to give me insight of like when you're going in to audition, like they're flying you here to New York. Yes. Yeah. You, you're not like, are you just like cool, calm and collected? Like you're like, I, those are my best friends. You seem again, this idea. And I (laughs) completely identify this idea of being put together. Cause one of my colleagues from the UK, we were out last night and she was like, you're just so prim and proper. And I was like, honey, that's rude in New York. (laughs) Like in New York, that is not a compliment. You're so prim and proper. I was like, you know, I don't know what that means, but it's a, she was paying a compliment to so put together. She was like, you just are so put together all the time. And I was like, what are my options? My options are either to be put together or not get the job. Like, I won't get a second chance. Yes, exactly. I mean, honestly, when I talk about not liking that first theater class, the teacher used to call me Mrs. Neat. And I was like, okay, you don't see me. Like, you're literally looking at me on the surface and I don't know what the hell this nickname is, ma'am, but, but yeah. no. But it's <laughs> but a no, no for me. But, but no, that's a no for me. Talk about a backhanded whatever compliment. And so like, I, I, yeah, I go, I do, you do have to be prepared. I, I had a lot going on in my life at the time that I got SNL. So that, you know, I told that story at Variety about the cockroach mm-hmm. um, that, yes. that kicked me out of my apartment. <laughs> and so the cockroach sent me packing, um, literally. But because of that, I was like couch surfing, which is not my jam. I, you know, I know some people, people do that and are fine. I like need my, sp- I'm real Pisces in this regard, need my space, my time, my sanctuaries. Like I have introverted tendencies as well. And so like I was going through a lot and I had just um, got an offer from Comedy Central to make a show of mine at the Ooh. same time. And so I don't know. Yeah. But so, so I so I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going in this direction and I this is I live in L.A. and this is my community. and I'm settled here. One thing I didn't mention is that most of my time in L.A., including college, I was like, I need to get to New York. I shouldn't be living here. I belong on the East Coast. I'm an East Coast girl. I need to get to New York. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dear God, get me a job in New York, an opportunity in New York. I'm ready to go. And then my last two years of 12 years in LA, I was like, I'm, I'm happy to be here actually. You know what? Like I spent two years from like year eight to 10 being like, be content. No one wants to hear about how you don't like LA. Like shut the hell up about it. And then like years 10 through 12, I was like, I love it. This is home now. I have found my people. I have, I I have my routines. This is my city now. And then it was time to move to New York. So this was coming up and I was like, well, I just got happy to be here, like really happy and been like, I'm going to get my family to move here. Truly. I was like, let's convince my mom and my brothers. I I was getting my little plan in order. And so this came when I least expected it, frankly. And also when it was like, oh, I'm not desperate for this anymore. (laughs) I don't, don't, I'm not desperate for this. And so that gave me a confidence too, but it's also a lesson in what like relinquishing and making your peace wherever you are affords you. Um, because this was an incredible opportunity. So by the, but by the time I was testing for this job, Ali, I had so much going on in my head and swirling around in my head that I was like, oh, right, you're testing for SNL. And because that was a source of stress for me too, because I was like, am I about to upend my life? Like, I don't know that I feel like doing that now. Like, I don't, I mean, of course, I remember being like, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely test because I want to have it in my book one day that I tested twice for SNL, like some of my comedy heroes. But I'm like, I don't know that I like want to like upend my life this way. And like, oh my God, the stress I was under when I tell you, Mm -hmm. like when I got to New York to test, I realized I hadn't rehearsed my you know, I had done their showcase, which was fine. It was like low stakes. Yeah, of course I'll do the showcase and audition in LA. But then when it came time to test, I was under such stress that the night I got here, you get there the night before your test. I was like, oh my God, Ego, you haven't rehearsed your audition at all. 
since you did it two weeks ago at all, like oh not goodness. even a little bit, my girl. So I was like in my hotel room the, the like night before I had gone like to my, I went to get a drink with my friend, Paul, Paul, the common thread in all of my stories here. Hi, Paul. Um, hi, Paul. He's a big sports <laughs> fan. He'll, he'll love this. Um, but he, I, I called him and I was like, let's get a drink in the city. And then like leaving that, I was like, I didn't rehearse this at all. I'm so stressed. I haven't even thought about running my audition girl. So like the next day, cause I was like, I still want to do a good job. I'm just an overachiever. And so it's like, even if I don't know if this is right for me or the right timing, I want to impress. I'm going to be auditioning in front of Lauren Michaels. Like I need to do a good job. And so I, I auditioned uh, or I ran my audition the day, the morning of several times. And I remember when they came in, someone came in to like, give me some contract of some sort. Her name is Sonia in the accounting department. I was listening to Didn't You Know by Erica Badu. She's like, you're the only person just like chill in a Zen mode. I was like, I gots to be. I was like, I have been on the go running, hopping from couch to couch. Like, can I sign a lease in an apartment in LA for like five weeks now? I was like, I am, (laughs) you are catching me in a place I need to be. And she was like, you're just like, chill in a way that no one else is right now. And I'm like, yep. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it was a scary process, but I had so much going on in my head. And I really think the vibe I was giving off too was just like, I'm sorry. Like this is amazing and such a blessing and such an incredible opportunity. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't even know if I'm prepared to do all this. So, so, so like, I'm gonna do a good job. I want to do a good job. It means, it means something to me to do a good job. It's important to me, but like, y'all, it's a lot going on. And I knew I'd have to miss my brother's wedding if I got the job. Girl, I was stressed. So like, it was a but lot. stressed for like other reasons beyond like, am I going to perform well? I, it was this weird, like, yeah, I know I'm going to perform well, but all, what about all this other stuff going on? It was you like know? you 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 were doing those like epic scenes in a movie where someone's like leg is broken and they're in pain. And then like the comedic relief is they're like, you're in pain. And then the person breaks their finger and they're like, yeah. well, <laughs> at least your leg isn't hurting anymore. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of like, that's the stress. That. Yes. That's the stress you're dealing with. It's like, yes, it's stress over here. So you're not dealing with the immediate stress of actually having having to go in this room and perform, Correct. which everyone else is probably dealing with because that's their only stress. It's like, yeah, let's, you had Girl, too much and like going literally on. the night before I was like, you need to get psyched up about this audition too. And I was in my hotel room and I was like, okay, let's just jump up and down. Be like, yay, this is amazing. You're getting to audition for SNL. I jump up, I jump down and I slice my foot on the baseboard of this <gasps> hotel, the room they just renovated. And it was like <laughs> gushing oh, blood. I guess I was like, oh, so I'll be limping in my audition tomorrow. I like really messed my foot up. <laughs> Oh and goodness. I was like, I don't know what everything's going wrong, but whatever. Um, yeah, but no, it was that. like you say, it was like there was a different kind of stress swirling around in my head that I was like, that was driving me, honestly. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's step into halftime really quick. Some fun questions. Super, super easy. Um, <laughs> who was your celebrity childhood crush? Since you were listening to Erica Badu and that that kind of like literally set the tone of you growing up, who were you like, ooh? Oh man, my celebrity childhood <laughs> my celebrity childhood crush, it was, I would say. See, these are married people now. And so I'm like, if I was their wife, I'd be like, I'm that little bitch. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about childhood me. I'm grown yes. now. Don't have a crush on these men. Let's be very exactly. clear here. Um, Justin Timberlake, big time Justin Timberlake, um, Grant Hill. <laughs> yeah, I had a Grant oh Hill. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love me some Grant Hill too. Yeah. All right, hidden, <laughs> hidden talent. Hidden talent. 
this is weird, but I don't even know if I'm allowed to call it talent because you're going to be like, prove it. But I know area codes very weirdly. Like if I see an area code, I'm like, I, 305 Miami. Like I know, <laughs> we, we, how can we not? Me. Like, <laughs> that's me. Yeah. <laughs> but I like no random area codes. Um, I'm double jointed as well. Those are two. Wow. That's two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love, that is so funny that you know, Eric, I don't know anything. I'm like, who's calling? Not answering. Yeah, I, that's just I mean, that, I still don't answer, but I know, mm. but I'm like, I know what city they're calling from. Calling from? There you <laughs> yeah. go. Least organized part of your life? Um, least organized part of my life is easily my bedroom. <laughs> it's a messy mess? It's a messy mess right now. I, I don't keep it that way. I'm actually generally very neat. And like my brain is, my mind is like scrambled eggs right now because my bedroom's messy. I'm not even in my bedroom, but I'm just thinking about how messy it is right now. And I'm like, ooh, because I've been traveling a lot. The suitcase is like, open with clothes from when I came back from London two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, laundry got to get done. Bed's not made. Um, it's been a hectic, it's been a hectic few weeks. <laughs> What's the most organized part of your life? Most organized part of my life, I would say is all my cabinets because I had closet organizers and cabinet organizers come to do my home. <laughs> Easily. Thank you. Thank you to them. Yeah. You're like, and thank you. All right. Last question. Um, what is a product that most people, like an item that people would be shocked that you carry with you all the time? I don't know if they'd be shocked, but Blistex, I can't like- Like the actual brand? The the blue pot of Blistex, I cannot leave without it. Like even if I don't carry a purse, I'm putting it in my pocket to like go run an errand. I cannot oh leave gosh. home without it. I cannot. I'm like, it's like, I'm not addicted to it. Let me be very clear here. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I just am like, I need it at all times. Just on me in case not the addicted. lips get dry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, like yeah. I need, and I'm scratching my neck as I say this, but not addicted, <laughs> not addicted. Um, but yeah, that I think that's that, that's on me at all times. Keep that thing on me. Yeah, I love it. It's like, for me, that is, that's very nostalgic, Blistex. I feel like the upgrade is Aquaphor. Like I carry Aquaphor with me all the time. See, I put it Aquaphor. everywhere. I like put it in my nose. Like, like when the nose gets cold, I just like, <laughs> I put it on my face. I think it's like moisturizer. So I lather oh. it up and I'm real shiny on camera for no reason. Looking like, <laughs> like people are like, okay, calm down. I feel like Aquaphor, I'm like, I need that tingle from the Blistex, that menthol, baby. Give me that menthol tingle. Oh, and it's not that. an addiction. I love that for you. No. <laughs> it's not. No, right? All right, it's let's roll into the third quarter. I got to say, um, and my producers on the show, they were like, you should lead with this. But I saved it for the third quarter. We're going to talk about a little bit about basketball. Um, you were recently on Jimmy Fallon, and yes. you were talking about how you, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, right? Like they have a little team or like yes. a very highly coveted team to be a part of. And finally a slot opens up and they're just like, they, they reached out and they were like, we want you. Yeah. I go, we want you to be on the team <laughs> with uh-huh. the fact that you had no basketball experience. Girl. Or very me. little. Tell us about it because Playing I, you know what it is? in my front yard. I don't, yeah. <laughs> but no, you know what it is, is because I think to me, and I don't know, to be honest, how many times you've shared this story, but for me, like hearing this again, when, when uh, my producers pulled the clip, but I'd seen it already, it, it just, it goes back to what you said earlier is that folks always think sometimes that you have it all together. Like, you know, you're just like, well, what are my options here? Like you have it all together. You're well put together. You are prepared. You're working under pressure, but you always show up to perform. And so in my mind, this stuff, this story actually does provide some context to the you. Like you came prepared, ready to you didn't even say no, like, nah, I'm good. You well, like because I put my hand up. I thought I would be good at basketball because I'm black. I literally was like, <gasps> I'm a little tall and I'm black. And I had a basketball hoop in my front, like in my driveway growing up that my brothers played with. And I'd go out there and shoot from time to time. Never played a game in my life. Didn't know what the rules were. I knew. I know you check a ball um, when you're playing. Good. But I'm like, not on a plane. That's I good. don't. Yeah, exactly. Good. But I'm like, I do not know. I put my hand up because it was like, all the comedy girls, it's a basketball league um, in, in L.A. It still exists. And it was like all the comedy girls at the time were doing it. There was like the Pistol Shrimps was a very popular team. I feel like GQ did a spread on them. But like, anyway, it was a whole thing. And I was like, oh, that would be fun. It'd be good good to have another hobby outside of comedy because at this point it's becoming work. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. But it's like, let's get some some other hobby on the docket. And everyone's doing this. 
and it would be good for fitness. I'm not working out at the time. And I'm like, great, I think I can do that. Like these are comedy girls, but I didn't know these comedy girls all played like basketball in high school or basketball in college or like they they were on a rec team growing up. And I'm like, I've never played. I didn't realize how little I knew about the sport <laughs> until I got out on the court first game. And I was like, I, I what have I, what have I done? And like, this is, they have found my weak spot. So for any of the girls who thought I was all put together and had it figured out and like, what is Ego not good at? People say that to me, like, what are you not good at? And I'm like, basketball. I'm not good at basketball. And I mean, the list goes on, but let's start there. Yeah. No, that is, that is hilarious because as someone who, you know, as a Peloton instructor and I'm very much athletically built. So anytime yeah. there are fun games, like you go on vacation with your friends and everybody wants to play a, a game of volleyball or like, yeah, let's go play some tennis. Like you have everybody who loves to work out on vacation. And I'm always like, I'm good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they always like, well, Allie, you can be on my team. And I'm just like, just because I look like I can play anything, my hand eye ball coordination isn't oh. great. Honey, so I'm same. just like, I just look like I can play. I can't play. Like yeah. I, I just, I'm, I remember uh, meeting Patrick Mortaglu, who used to be Serena Williams' coach. Okay. And we, we did a little session at the U.S. Open, which I actually think this is the first time you and I met, you know? Yes, we, that is, we did meet yes, at the U.S. Right? Open. Yeah, US Open yes, the we did. Yeah, 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 uh -huh. yeah. And then my husband made that joke, what are you here for, tennis? And you laughed politely, which he <laughs> still says. And I still I'm, am <laughs> mad at you for laughing even now. Anyways, I I'm digress. I'm sorry. You know, you just got to, you, I, it's, it's, it's sweet that people try. I like that people try. And that you, he's I, been I, saying I like. that for ages because you laughed once. How rude are you? Thank you for putting, I got to lift it Big that. dad jokes energy. <laughs> yes, it is. So anyways, um, I was with uh, Patrick Mortaglu and we were doing a tennis lesson and we were doing a recording of it. And he's like, you're going to be great. And I'm like, again, you're judging on how I look. Uh -huh. Sometimes people judge you for in oh, favor. Yeah. Because this is why do not look. judge a book by its cover. Don't uh -uh. judge. You have no idea what's going on with that book. Okay. No, I told him, I said, I said, you've obviously met the best tennis player in the world because you trained Serena Williams, but have you met the best worst tennis player in the world? <laughs> no? Well, now you have. I am yes, literally welcome. that bad at tennis. I just look I'm like so I'm bad. good. I've, I've played tennis one time. I tried like, so growing up, my aunt would take me and my siblings to play tennis, but I was like so young that I was just like tagging along. I feel like I was like five years old, six years old, and I was just tagging along and they'd play tennis. My family liked tennis. Um, one of my cousins uh, played tennis in college. Actually, three of them played tennis in college, all the siblings, and like went to college for free because of that and is a tennis instructor now. So I'm like, it's in the bones, blood somewhere. But no, that's also not how it works, Ego, because the one time I played tennis with a friend in L.A. years ago, it was like, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> this is just even to hit. the. It's hard. I was like, this is hard and I'm bad at it. And my hand-eye coordination is garbage. So, yeah. If, if tennis and baseball had a sport they married together, tennis yeah. and baseball, and it was like, you know, basin, yeah. I would yeah. win because I can hit that ball really, really far with that okay. racket. Okay. Yeah, that's the See, that's the thing. It's like a baseball bat, I'm like, I'm a little bit better. Like I can get in a groove with like softball. I can, like, I can get in a oh. groove. I do know the rules of that. What but do I do? don't watch or play. Like, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> so um, in this third quarter, I do want to talk about on SNL. Have you had any moments? Like, what are the best comedic moments when it came to athletes? Like, just like when you're just like, wow, I didn't think the athlete would be that funny. But I mean, they were. we haven't had too many on mm -hmm. SNL since I've been there because of the like athletic schedule, frankly. Mm -hmm. And it coincides with ours. Like athletes have the same schedule we do basically. But uh, Travis Kelsey just hosted, JJ Watt hosted a few years ago. It's fun to see like how goofy they're willing to be. That's actually what's nice is like, I'm so impressed with anybody who comes up there and hosts and who's doing something that is so outside of their comfort zone and is like willing to make themselves look an ass. Like Travis at Table Read got up at one point and like was really trying to sell this sketch that actually wasn't necessarily doing that great up until that point. And it was like, he got up and it was like, he's like, I'm committed. And I just loved seeing that because I feel like when people are doing sketch and they're hosting our show, it's so nerve wracking, of course. It's so, it's so yeah. outside of a lot of these people's comfort zones, but like to see him like overcommit and like, it's not even overcommit. It's like just committing the way we would. I was like, this is amazing. He's going to have a great show. And then he did. But like, 
Uh, that's that's always fun because I'm like, how shy are you going to be? Sometimes people are timid with it because they're like, I don't want to embarrass myself in front of these professionals or like, this is so far outside of anything that I do. Um, but I love to see like an athlete come and lean in and be like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but like, I'm I'm doing it. So that's always fun. It normally works like this, right? You you um you go ahead, y'all write it out. You come to table reads, and then you pre-tape the show in a sense of like get a temperature of the timing and some of the sketches. And then y'all will nick some of the sketches that won't make it into the live show, right? Well, no. I mean, we we do a table read with like 40 sketches. We read through 40 sketches. That's uh-huh. always that always blows people's mind when we do that, by the way, because they're like, I'm sorry you read 40 sketches and it's like a table read that's like five hours long Um, or it's like four hours long or something. It's, it's very long, but um, anyway, we, we do that. And then sketches are chosen for the show. Some of those sketches are pre-taped sketches and you can tell which ones are pre-taped and not happening in the studio. And then some of them are going to be live sketches. We rehearse all those pieces. We rewrite the pieces, punch them up, Throughout the week, up until these sketches are getting punched up, up until they go to air, honestly. So, like, it, things are always changing. Um, that's when people are like, You guys need to memorize sketches enough with the cue cards. I'm like, You need to understand these sketches are changing up. Like, let me make that clear up until the minute they go live, like, they are changing. Somebody might come up to you like four minutes before your sketch goes and is like, We cut this whole part out, or we added this line for you, or we changed this line to that. So we need the cue cards. And so shout out to our cue card team. Um, whoop, whoop. But like, uh, we, we do the live sketches and then um, we, do, we do that for a dress rehearsal audience, I think earlier in the evening before the show. And be, based on how those sketches do at that show, things can get cut. Sometimes something that goes really great at dress rehearsal gets cut because like the host doesn't want to do it or it conflicts with something else. Oh. Um, so like the show is then decided after dress rehearsal. Like this sketch is going to go away. This sketch is going to go earlier in the show. This one's now going later in the show. So um, we, we we use our dress rehearsal audience as like the first time anybody from the outside world that's not us is seeing stuff. Um, so that's, we love them. Thank you for coming to dress rehearsal. <laughs> Uh, the reason I knew, uh, the only reason I know this is there's been a couple of times back in the day when I was in college that I was a dancer on SNL. So they'd have oh, some wow. dancers, like backup dancers. Yes, and yes, we would yes. have to be there all, like you have to get there early in the evening, but then you're there all night because yes. you do that. And then you're waiting in the back and you're, you're the thing that you're in, your sketch that you're in could get yeah. cut. Yes, and then you get uh-huh. to go home, but then your friend gets to stay, and then their parents get to see them on SNL, and that's uh-huh. the worst. But every time <laughs> I I, I've done it a couple, yeah, I've done it yeah. a couple times, and each time I made it on, and it was one of those okay. things where a couple oh. of my friends their ske- their sketches got cut, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. She's like, my mom is staying up so late, and now she, oh. she's, you know, you forget that. Yeah, yeah, I forget that. Like even as like it's so fascinating because we as cast are dealing with that where we're like, we put so much into this piece, we we've poured our hearts and our souls and all of our comedic juices and creative talent into this for the week. And oh no, it got cut. And like how that makes us feel. But I haven't thought about like the extras that appear in our sketches or the dancers that appear in our sketches. And like, oh, they're having that same experience, like a parallel experience of like, oh, I was so looking forward to this. And I I told people to look out for me. I know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so crazy. It's so cutthroat, but uh, truly makes you resilient, I would say. (laughs) Look at that. I just hope it makes you feel bad. I go, I hope it makes you (laughs) Um, Before we go into the fourth quarter, what was your favorite guest? I know this is oftentimes something you probably get asked, but sincerely, in terms of maybe it's like an unexpected favorite guest. Um, I've said many times Harry Styles really surprised, I think, Mm -hmm. all of us with his range and all the choices he made. Like just seeing a host make choices is so refreshing at our table read, frankly. Like that's, I feel like you know, the show does such a good job of making all of our hosts look good. And that's our goal as the cast to support you as a host, like to make you look good and make you shine in the ways that you are so talented. Um, What's so fascinating is table read to see hosts at table read. So that's before we've sort of figured out like really what you are good at and what the show is even going to be. And so to see like Harry at our table read made such like strong, bold choices that were just fascinating. And they were big swings and it was refreshing because I know for a host, it can, again, feel so intimidating in the in our company or if they haven't done this show before, this process before to feel like, okay, I'm just going to go through the motions here. But like seeing him make such big choices was really refreshing and like surprising because I don't think any of us expected that but from a host at all, um, let alone someone who doesn't do what we do. So mm-hmm. yeah, pretty amazing. 
I love it. All right, fourth quarter, last thing. I know we're talking about, and most people will ask you, well, what's next? It's kind of like, what is what is now looking like? And I know you said you had, from your variety speech, something like a, a, the three-week stench, which is like you're going, you're doing the show yeah. so back-to-back. So your schedule's jam-packed, you're traveling a lot. But in yeah. terms of things that you are currently working on, and you always, like what you said before, is you like to feel proud of the work that you're doing. So it doesn't have to necessarily be attached to SNL, because I'm sure you're proud of that. Yeah. What does your now look like? Well, right now, I would say I am in a transition period, but it's really beautiful because I get to, um, I'm spending a lot of time just kind of re-articulating and reorganizing my goals and for myself and making it a point to just really be present for all of this. Frankly, like I've had these conversations lately with like old cast members, older or alumni of the show, and including Jimmy, whose show I just appeared on, where they're like, and this has been playing in my head a bit lately that like this all, it flies by and then you miss it so much. And so, and it, it, cause again, SNL is so challenging and this is for us as cast members, it is so cutthroat. It's not totally a meritocracy, meritocracy, excuse me. And so like, uh, you know, there are things to be frustrated about. There are times when you're feeling so celebratory and on such a high, and there's times when you're feeling very low. And so I am trying to do a work of like being really present and enjoying all of it for what it is right now, because this is like the only time I'm ever going to be a cast member on SNL, the only time I'm going to be this age living in this apartment in New York City. And so I'm like trying to just like be present. That's like what now looks for look now, what now looks like for me is just being present and trying to find the joy and the gratitude in where I am right now, frankly, because it's so easy for me to be like, yeah, what is next? And what are we building? And how mm-hmm. are we, are we, are we effectively building it? Are we building it fast enough? But now I'm just like, this is beautiful right now. And like savor these moments, cherish these moments, try to remember as much of this as you can document it as much of it as you can be it in my journal or photographically and yeah, just, and just be present and be grateful. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on Courtside Conversation and taking a Courtside seat and sharing your story. I know that a lot of our listeners really do appreciate the insight because we always see the small aperture of so many folks on the big screen, whether it's the pitch, the court, the field, the TV, like streaming platforms. And it's always a question of why and how. So the fact that you were able to share the why and the how, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Allie. This was so lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Yes, of course. Everyone, Ego Woden, and she just nailed it because she's amazing. Um, I will see you all later for our next guest who's going to take a courtside seat, a courtside conversation. Until then, I'm Allie Love. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.